0: Restaurant unstoppable episode 625
1: with chef eric warnstead but the bigger one i really believe in my soul more so than the capital is the can you really put your entire life into this is this really what you want are you
0: ready for it factors success stories Failures and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge. Then join Eric Cacciatori and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. I'm sure you've heard of Revel, but have you heard of the Revel Advantage? It is the payment processing solution that seamlessly integrates into your Revel point of sale and platform to create. A complete system tailored to your business needs. Rebel manages both your POS and your payments with integrated software, hardware, and credit card processing to save you time and money so you can focus on your business. Learn more at rebelsystems.com slash unstoppable. Here is a statistic for you. Bento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Eric Warnstead. Eric, are you feeling unstoppable today? We're feeling unstoppable. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is what we like to hear. So originally from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, Eric Warnstead is a graduate of Johnson and Wales University, North Miami. Six years after making the move north to Vermont in October of 2005, alongside business partner William McNeil, Warnstead opened Hen of the Wood Waterbury. It would be the beginning of of a commitment to amazing farmers, cheesemakers and others who've made Vermont so special. Fast forward to the current date and the team has scaled their operation to include hen of the wood Burlington dock ponds, eat and drink stow and prohibition pig just down the street from their original hen of the wood in waterbury, Vermont. I cannot wait to get into your story, but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us?
1: I think the er- in the early days with Judy Rogers' first cookbook, she made a quote saying something like, uh, if we can find a harder way to do it, we'll do it. Nice. And I think we've looked at that every step of the way. What does that mean to you? How does that resonate with you? Well, Hen of the Wood Waterbury was a tiny restaurant, small kitchen. Everything was pretty antiquated. So the idea of like keeping things really simple but showcasing Vermont. So the only way to do it simple but to do it properly was all these other steps yeah. up to that. And that always sort of seemed like it coincided with her how hard can we make this it's kind of like the that whole the object is the way mentality that right. you know
0: go like if it's it's the path of most resistance sometimes that will be the path worth taking because it reaps the most benefit it's how you stand out it's it's, it's the right thing to do sure most it all shines yeah. through awesome i love it so where does it make sense to start today's conversation it sounds like you knew from a pretty young age that you were drawn to the hospitality industry you went to college there so when did you know for sure that this was going to be your path
1: uh, I went to Johnson and Wales right after I graduated from college. I started cooking my last year of college and it really just all sort of clicked at a time when I wasn't sure what the next move was. I was in North Carolina at the time, um, which is where I'd gone to college. And the two guys that opened this restaurant in our college town, it seemed like they were having a good time. It seemed like it was all working for them. All my friends went to get a job there to be servers. I would never worked in a restaurant. He asked if I could work in the kitchen. Yeah, fast forward and like that's how the ball got started. So graduated college, had about six months to hang out at a small bed and breakfast in the mountains and then started the more serious culinary career. So where'd you originally go to school? What was your... A place called High Point University. What were you uh, majoring originally? I have a business degree, which... Okay, that's good to have. It's a little bit more bong hits and frisbee at the time, (laughs) but um, uh, I always thought I would sort of move into more like a real estate or something in that vein. I had some family in that world. But I mean, you are
0: in real estate. I mean, the the, the restaurant industry encompasses all those things: sure. business, real estate. Uh, it's there's just so many variables to it. So you got this job working in the kitchen uh, while you, was it your senior year in college? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, what was your original uh, impression of the industry?
1: Well, at the time, I think these guys uh, put off perhaps the uh, the wrong image of what it was like. They seemed to be much cleaner, wealthier. And not working as hard as it really turned out to be. Um, Consequently, they only lasted a few years, I think. But at the beginning, it was really cool food for this little town. It had a really fun vibe to it. Their energy was really high. And it just seemed like something that that I could put my heart and soul into, really, after four years of goofing around in college, not really exactly sure what I was going to be doing. Once I got out of college... I definitely like put my head down, knife sharp, and didn't. I and mean, we goof around a lot and have fun, but have I was to. really serious about yeah. getting the career going.
0: Yeah. yeah. So without tearing these guys too much of a new asshole, reflecting back, knowing what you know now, reflecting back what it was like to be in that operation, what idiots. get a little bit de- idiots. Yeah. It <laughs> 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 okay. Uh,
1: so what would they got the place open? So okay. that's a that's an enormous step in itself. But after that, they seem to do every step. Give, give me some right.
0: examples of things that are not right. In uh, case somebody who's was, listening to this is like, oh, shit, we do that. We should probably cut uh, Whether
1: it was you know, th- how alcohol was used, drugs were used, relationships with women, general vibe right behind the scenes. Gotcha. Um, just a touch on the you know, non-sustainable side. Okay. And I think they got behind on tax payments and th- doing all the things that you just – shouldn't do like run down the checklist if i open a restaurant what should i not do they seem to check every one of those
0: so was it just the uh the there was something that appealed to you about the industry because you ended up pursuing it full-time thereafter
1: yeah at the time um being in north carolina backpacking getting a little bit more in touch with nature um, growing up in Florida, actually, we had the Everglades just down the street, the beach on the other side, the keys to the south of us. So Even though it was suburban Fort Lauderdale, I feel like I had a pretty natural experience, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, we vacationed a lot in North Carolina, which a lot of Floridians do. And by the time I got to college, it really clicked about sort of that side, you know, being in the mountains, spending a lot of time outdoors, hiking, mountain biking, a lot of fishing, all that sort of stuff. That coincided, I think, that environmental interest Coincided with a direction that food was going. And I think I got lucky to see the right cookbooks at the right time. Which cookbooks were these? Um, it was like really- the early Alice Waters stuff, um, anything mostly from the West Coast at that time, uh, the Jeremiah Towers of the world, and a handful of others that seemed to, and enough books were out at that point where all you would do is like go to Barnes and Nobles and Flip through books, and they were all so in, like the Inn at Little Washington, that was an enormous one, right after that the French Laundry came Mm -hmm. out, that was a great stretch of books for those handful of years, and I feel like I slid in just the right time, like I'm 43 now, we got to catch all of the celebrity chef stuff, and we were lucky to be just barely dipping our toe in that world, but it never went to the next level we've stayed pretty grounded yeah. being in Vermont or the places that I worked at yep um, so I feel like I slid into the industry just at the right time it's probably a roundabout answer but the environmental component feeling that I could do this um, it seemed to just coincide and be the right thing to do got you yeah.
0: so just doing some simple math uh, I'm guessing you graduated around
1: 97 from your primary 97
0: and you did, what, one year, two years at...
1: So I did a two-year program at Johnson & Wales. That's what you could do. Um, no, it was just a year program. Okay. Because if you already had a bachelor's degree, it was straight culinary. So I got in and out of there as quick as possible. So, and...
0: you, so you had about a year from graduating from Johnson & Wales to making your move up to Vermont in 1999. Right. Okay. Yeah. So what happened in that year before that transition north?
1: Uh, well, there was... You know, a little bit roundabout story, but I stayed in North Carolina before culinary school and worked at this inn. after culinary school, I went to Colorado for a little while and okay. worked at the Peaks Resort in Telluride, which nice. was the only large property I've ever worked at, but it was a really special experience. And actually moved to Vermont my first time after that internship and worked at Shelburne Farms here, which is, if you haven't been, it's a stunning piece of property. ok. Left in the winter, came back, left in the winter again. Came back the third time I stayed for good, which was 2001. So okay. I've been here full-time since 2001. Got gotcha. you. Any mentors, any key players
0: up to this point that helped form and mold who you are today as a professional?
1: Um, back then, it was really, really cookbook-based. I feel like I never took enough time to travel to work with that really special chef. I've worked for a lot of really good people, really solid people from a morals and value judgment um i haven't worked for great chefs of the world um but those years honestly to go back to it all those cookbooks were uh, my first management job i had the opportunity to just do specials every day so for those next like three years or so it was every day was just cooking out of those books and morphing them to my own
0: okay yeah so Reflecting back at these individuals, and that's a huge point that to point out right now, a lot of people will say, "I need a mentor, I need a mentor. There are countless mentors that exist online in books or blogs or whatever there's influence out there. Go out there and let yourself be influenced by all these incredible resources that exist today. Like you can be influenced. I mean the best thing is having that person right next to you, that, that mentor that's willing to coach you, but that that isn't an excuse to not try to, to get influenced some way somehow. Sure. do you want to reflect on that? Well,
1: now, if we were to fast forward. There are a few other people, gentlemen by the name of Chris Goss, who's do- doing a lot of like hospitality consulting, but used to live up here and it's a family friend. Um, he's starting a company called Awakened Hospitality. Honestly, I'd love to plug him just because what he's doing is outstanding. Um, other podcasts and more business management, leadership focus mentors as opposed to food mentors. At this point, like we're five years in to me not cooking regularly, which is. Yeah, it still feels weird, like going to work and sitting in an office. I may be here for a long day, but it's not work. So five years in, since
0: 2014, you've kind of removed yourself from the kitchen to work on the business. Line yeah, the
1: business. once we had two restaurants, my role just changed a lot because okay. we had to have a body in each place. I want to get to that. We're definitely sure. going to get into that sure. transition,
0: <laughs> but I want to stay chronological because I'm curious – wh- aside from the cookbooks, I mean, you have the, the cookbooks aside from the recipes in the cookbooks, um, which one of these, these, uh, book mentors influenced you the most? Cause I know
1: they share a lot about their stories,
0: their values, their philosophies. Sure. Who had the biggest.
1: Imprint um, on you, you know, suppose? Corey Schreiber was at a place called Wildwood okay. in Portland. They're, they've since closed, but I worked there for a little while and that cookbook was pretty inspirational. The what early, was it? That inspiration?
0: Like, what was the inspiration?
1: You know, it's something they, there's a vibe to them, you know, uh, connection to nature a connection to a sense of place um you would know if you picked that book up that that dude is from Oregon and that's what's going on there saying like the Atlas water vegetable book like you you it has a sense of place a sense of time I think that really appealed to me and it, I knew quickly at least I felt in my soul that maybe there could be the opportunity to be a bigger fish in a small pond in Vermont yeah like the whole farming thing uh it was real easy to grab onto.
0: Yeah. And what you're pointing out right now was what was happening in like the, the late eighties into the early nineties with Alice water uh, in California. And then you had it in uh, Portland, Oregon, and it was happening again. But you had this, this sense of like uh, sourcing from the community, sourcing from what's right out your front door. And uh, you can tell that those values from these cookbooks were imprinted into you because that's kind of been, the backbone of your business is that 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 locally sourced this robust re, uh pond of resources you have right out your back door being in vermont and you were kind of one of the first people to really leverage that immediate uh abundance of resources is that safe to say
1: i think that we were the first restaurant in that new age of you know content driven magazine television show you know when we opened 10 and I'll try to go chronological but when we opened 10 I was 29 we were doing some fun stuff you know young eager we were in this really rad old building that's 250 years old i think it just hit all the things it was like oh you should maybe go check that place out
0: so what what happened like what were, what were the series of events where this opportunity even became possibility? Were there any middle points between 2002 and 2005 that set you up for success?
1: I had always goofed around with writing a business plan. Um, There was another opportunity at a place on the waterfront where they were like calling all business plans. So that was the first time really putting it together. Uh, The lady that owns the building where the first hen is, uh, we crossed paths with her in Burlington and she was having issues with the restaurant that was in that space and trying to get them out via legal means. And I loosely said, with no money in my pocket, should you win in court, let me be the first person you call. Ooh. And like six months later, she's like, hey, this is so-and-so. The space is available if you yeah. want it.
0: And there's a big lesson there, too. If you want something, let it be known. Oh, Put I fully totally
1: believe that, yeah. Put
0: it into the universe, because the universe can't answer you unless you let it be known. And sometimes people just keep their desires, their wants inside, and then when... The, the building does become available or the property does become available and it goes away real fast. You know, like what, what, what damage are you doing? Being proactive saying if for whatever reason you decide to close or this becomes available, like I am interested. Yeah.
1: Put it I have there. no problem with the risk, no problem with the pressure that that would have come with. Yeah. I was totally ready and accepting of that and made a few calls to family friends. And so was, you must, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, just, it was a lot of money to me at the time to open that restaurant, but you know, when I look at like how we have to do things today, it was you know pennies. So it was you know, luckily there was a restaurant there, there was a hood system there. So you said you came back to Vermont and you were here steady from 2002
0: on. Mm-hmm. What was going on between 2002 and 2005?
1: So this restaurant um, in Shelburne, Vermont, called Shelburne Farms. Uh, it's a full working farm. It's it's really special if if you can check it out. They're only open seasonally. So I had finished my internship in Telluride, and my a friend from college had moved up here. And she said, you should come check it out. I think you'd like it. I flew to visit, went back, told my chef I wasn't staying, and, and moved. drove my car out to what Vermont. What was it
0: that made you just make that instant decision, like, this is what I'm going to do?
1: Yeah, if you drove up onto Shelburne Farms, you'd yeah. probably, like, maybe throw it away for a minute and say, oh, I think I could probably do this. <laughs> it, it's really special. Yeah. And uh, you know, a couple college friends were here, so it seemed like a decent place to land. At the time, though, I was super foot loose. Um, I had no plans on staying here. Uh, I always planned on being back in the mountains of North Carolina or somewhere in North Carolina. I wanted to keep traveling a bunch. So that season ended shortly after I got here. Um, did I settle in in Vermont at the time? And the answer was like, no, there was nothing to do here that I was interested in. So okay. um, I went to Portland for a little bit. Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon okay. Came back, did the Shelburne Farms experience again. Went to Atlanta after that for a little bit just to help a chef friend. Came back when the season opened. And then that closed in October and after that point I stayed here for good there was a management position that was opening at a place called Smoke Jacks okay which was sort of like pretty hip place downtown Burlington sourcing a good bit locally uh, they were hiring for a sous chef and at the time to me like the idea like I can be a sous chef and, yeah, you know, after talking then them, be able to do my thing a little bit.
0: Was this your first sue position? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, what was that transition to the sue to the position, like first leadership position?
1: Yeah, I, it was great for my food. Yeah, you know, I think I was a horrible leader. Why? Well, what made you a horrible leader? I just was concerned about cooking my food. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I was super lucky to be able to play every day. Like, we, I ran the line working sauté, but as long as I got there early enough, I could do any special I wanted and things like that. So, really, every day, I... To say I cooked through those books is not an exaggeration. So how
0: did your food evolve during this time? What was it? uh, Because it wasn't
1: um, a full dish that I was interested in. It was, and luckily my brain was, I can not barely do any math, but I can remember a cookbook and a recipe pretty easily, or at least the vibe of it. So it was, I remember that thing from that one dish, this thing from this one dish, this feels like it has... Or even if it's the uh, um, the optics, it feels like it could be a Vermont-rooted dish. The ingredients that I'm going to go purchase are from somewhere around here. And all of a sudden, that dish has soul, has reason to exist. Mm. There's a reason why it's on the plate. It's not just... What I really hated at the time was the beginning of this international pantry. Like, you can cook any food you want any day of the week. It has no soul, no roots, Like, why would I be cooking? Why would I be rolling sushi? Like, I have no history with sushi. My family's not Japanese. (laughs) I didn't vacation in Japan. Like, so it made sense that even though the North Carolina-Vermont connection was weak, it made sense in my mind, like, where those environmental connections to the roots of American food uh, sort of came to current day. That's what I was really excited in. Interesting. So, So
0: one question that's really poking at me right now is that you mentioned earlier that you kind of had a false reality of the industry when you first got started because what you're looking at wasn't the best example of a well-run business with these gentlemen in North Carolina. Sure. Uh, when did that change? When did your perception of the reality of the industry start to come into frame?
1: I, I don't think that there was... Uh, I understood the reality then. Those things, we, I could see what, what, what could be done right and what was be doing wrong. What was happening that was wrong, is if that makes sense? Yeah. So I, I don't think it wasn't there at the beginning. Okay. What wasn't there at the beginning was, you know, being a good leader, um, trying to build up a team, which is all the stuff we talk about now. The past yeah. couple of years, that is our only concern. Like my chefs know me, they know my program, they have full control to do what they want for the so, most part. So
0: know. I'm curious because you said even up to this last, uh, sue, or your last position before Hen of the Woods, um, Sorry. I did have I two on, other I keep on throwing that S on the woods. <laughs> That's okay. uh, When did you start to develop these leadership skills? When did you start to get an idea and a knack for what it takes to lead and, and manage and be a business owner?
1: Um, and I'd love to ask some of our early managers <laughs> that question. Maybe I'll ask. I think, them. though, honestly, at the big, small businesses that are owner-run, if there's soul and there's heart there, people are going to follow you, mm. even if you're not doing it right. And once Hen opened, that's different than when I was a sous chef at Smoke Jack's. or There were a couple other spots in the middle there before Hen. But with regard to a small business sole proprietor chef-owned restaurant, if you have soul and believe in what you're doing, I think people will follow you, even if you're not the best leader. Once you have more than one place, once you maybe have three or four places, how does the new guy connect with that original magic juju or that goose that laid the golden egg at Hen Waterbury. How does that new guy feel that? So that's all about us managing and leading properly, treating our managers properly, giving them what they need so that they go on and continue what we originally started and do it in our vein with our value system, our morals, et cetera, et cetera. So that I could really talk about all hour long. I'm making a
0: note. We're, <laughs> we're coming back to that. how to manage Properly and pass on. Okay, coming back to that. So, we, I'm curious. um y- You had mentioned to this woman that if this this property ever becomes available, uh, let us know. We're interested. So, take it from there. When she the, the the phone did ring, or when you found out that there's this was an
1: opportunity that you could make it happen. What did sure. that look like? Yeah. Um. Within hours. Uh.
0: Actually, I'm gonna make you stop right there. I forgot to take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. That's a good teaser. We'll be right back. that you love the most about Rebel Systems, what would it be?
1: It's definitely their vast reporting abilities on the back end. We utilize a lot of the reports such as speed of service, taxes, sales reports, labor reports. It's all there to help you run your business.
0: Beautiful. Guys, and if you're listening to this, Revel works with businesses that are looking to implement cutting-edge technology that helps increase revenue, improve efficiencies, and enhance experience of their employees and their customers. To learn more, head over to revelsystems.com slash unstoppable. Okay, you are about to tell us
1: about how uh, this whole uh, opportunity came to be, Henna the the Wood. Um, Within a couple hours... I had made a call to a guy, the guy who was my grill cook at more than one restaurant. A guy when I became a chef for a short while, went back to Smoke Checks for a short while as the chef. Okay. Before Hen presented itself, don't worry, it won't be a test about the chronological. There is a lot of <laughs> movement there, but this one guy moved with me as a sous chef, a grill cook, and then a sous chef. He was like, well, I think my first call. Do you want to come in do this? Either just come help me. We can do it together. I don't know what it is, let's just figure out how to do this. Okay. The second call was to my family and then to another family friend. I knew at the time my family couldn't do much for me, but they did give me fifteen grand. Um I'd had my name on a piece of property somehow and I was able to get another fifteen grand. And then I got thirty from my buddy and thirty from the family friend. So, so ninety thousand. 90, yeah. 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 So super as fast as we could we is made. Is that those you calls. 90, that's all you needed? <laughs> yeah. Wow.
0: So that's all you needed to put up front was ninety thousand for the, the yeah. purchase of. Hannibal. I would
1: not recommend doing it like that, <laughs> um, but there is a part of me that thinks if you really like believe it and think what you're doing is legit. So when you say not doing it like that, be specific. Uh, not enough money, undercapitalized, okay. really. So um, you had
0: just enough to basically get the property and to own it, but you right. didn't have any extra
1: capital. Uh, I case. can't remember what how much we had in the bank when we opened. I'm sure it was 10 grand or something. Yeah. Um, uh, It comes up often on the show
0: when you're opening. Don't just get what you need. Usually go, the the number is usually like 25% of whatever you think you need. Like, add 25% to that, or even 50% of people say, like, double it if you can, you know, because there's always
1: going to be something. Uh, I do think there's a difference in it, maybe sounds immature, but young, fired up, and excited business owner versus a more accomplished yada yada you're looking at a program or you're looking at a space and you're deciding if this model is going to work like sort of in the position we're in now back then that like young fuel you know we could have done it on 50 grand yeah we would have figured it out yeah Uh, we took a few bucks home a month to like make sure we paid our bills And it was just a small amount of us. It was a tiny business. It still is. But there's something to be said, too, about putting yourself in the position where you need to make
0: it work. I feel like people that are overcapitalized are just like sweet. I have like this infinite amount, like source of capital to draw from, and you just cut all the creativity out of it, and you just end up throwing money at projects, and you're not even paying attention to your expenses. Uh, but when you have a limited amount to work with, like that frontal lobe kicks into gear, and you just start <laughs> making shit happen, and you get so creative, and you just there's verticals that you would have never explored
1: otherwise. Do you think that's true? With what? One hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So. Well, what, what was it like you mean you, you get the you know it's thousand hard to dollars, remember and... actually because i think it was it was without whining like it was so hard uh, was like, the hardest physically part? hard mentally hard um no one ever got sick those first couple of years you know everyone did six days a week um it was just a lot you know set up build it up and shut it down every day and then we decided to close an extra day we did two days off um after a handful of years, we hired another manager that allowed me to, like, get off the line certain times. I can't remember exactly, but if I needed to. I remember when my daughter was born, I think I was out of work for 36 hours or something. I don't even – maybe not even that much. <laughs> I remember calling my, my buddy at, like, one in the morning, be like, I'm not going to be in tomorrow. <laughs> you got to figure it out. Yeah. So, But I'll be in the next day. <laughs>
0: With keeping the the our our listeners in mind, people aspiring to improve or people looking to get into the industry, uh, what advice do you had that person for that person listening um, about what you did right when you, when you share your story? Like, what did you do right? Well, what did you wish you had done better? Uh, reflecting back, the, what the you know first
1: now. part is like, are you really really serious? Is this your whole life? Can your whole life be given up to do this? Mm. And that sounds maybe a little self-righteous or something, but at the time, there was no other option. We would have failed had we tried to have another employee or treated it casually or didn't recognize every piece of dust, every tissue that was left on the ground. We saw everything. Mm -hmm. And I don't think... I don't know if that's a trained thing. I think that's an owner thing. But uh, sorry, I'm getting off topic. With regard to the advice, at this point... The undercapitalized is is step one. Like, go sit down with other restaurant owners, sit down with other business owners, take as many notes as possible, take as many pictures as possible, write down every little thing that inspired you, that you ate, that you saw, whether it's a cool fork or a piece of art, you know, really build it in your mind's eye. Um, But the bigger one, I really believe in my soul more so than the capital, is the can you really put your entire life into this is this really what you want
0: are you willing right are you gonna have that conversation and i think we we get so there's almost like a romance to the 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 dream right we we have this vision of what it's going to be like then there's the reality of it and like. I, honestly, with this podcast, I hope I talk more people out of getting into the industry and opening a restaurant than I do helping <laughs> right. people open restaurants because it's are you willing uh, and and people get trapped sometimes in this industry because they just don't really fully understand the the commitment to to running a business. Well, so, and that's the
1: terrifying part. Yeah. Like, knock on wood, we were really lucky. If we can jump to like, you know, head of the wood is open now, and how is that all working? After a couple of years, maybe two years, we had a really awesome write-up by Mark Bittman Okay. In the Times, um, USA Today did a travel piece. Had a big picture of the mill, which is the restaurant. Um, food and Wine gave us top ten best new di- or top ten dishes of the year. Wow! It was this duck breast. What was dish. that
0: like? Starting to get like all this hard work. Oh, yeah, it, it, it was red. It was really special. Starting to pay off. Yeah, it was super two special. years, twenty-four months. It took of six days a week. Uh, I think the biggest vacation you got was 36 hours. Like <laughs> it takes time are you willing to put that work in it? and you know you how did you keep that that um that work ethic going? How did you not lose hope during that first t-
1: 2 years? That's a great question. Um I think we had it was we were connected. Like we were plugged in. Like the, whether it was the farm or the commute, we're in a small town. Like Hen isn't necessarily built for waterbury. A lot of people um, are not coming to him, but enough tourists are driving through here. Um, it just all clicked and felt like we're we're a part of this. Like I don't know how to how to answer that really. Well, I mean, they are just in it. You yeah. kind of
0: talked about it earlier. Um, just the the why, right? The reasons why you're getting into it. And if, if there's if you have the right why, you can deal with any how. And the camaraderie, uh, the the get, get into like the relationships, uh, the how t- how tight that glue was between you and your people.
1: Well, and it's not just our people. It was the couple of farmers that were in the I met a handful of farmers um, at Smokejacks and at Shelburne Farms, people that we still work with today. That you know, the day we opened Hen Waterbury, the whole list. You know, back then we used to write like every farmer, so like each menu item took up a paragraph, which we've scrapped all that since then. But we started with with an arsenal of dudes in our pocket that were like serious partners. Like we have strong relationships with cheese makers you know the guy that brings our beef you know the random vegetables like serious relationships that i think we were we easily could have failed but we were so connected with our crew with the whole scene that it makes i hope this doesn't sound cocky it makes sense that it didn't fail not because it was good, but because we were connected and we were part of it all. You and had I think the, it,
0: the support of one another. Yeah. And it wasn't just you. Like, you wouldn't be failing. Like, it would it would take the whole tribe failing to, to go down. But when you have that support system, right, uh, and you're doing it for each other, is I'm, I don't yeah. put words into your mouth.
1: No, no. And it comes down. You mentioned the why, which is something we talk about a lot now. We didn't talk about that back then. But it shows that that deeper reason for, for being here, I think. Pushed us along. Mm. You know, there was some strong values, some strong, you know, moral compass was pretty straight. And I think it made sense that we were able to rise to the top, whether you had a good or a bad meal.
0: Yeah. One variable we haven't uh, talked much about yet is your business partner, William Mm -hmm. uh, McNeil. So when did he come to the picture? Was he from from day one?
1: No, Will wasn't from day one, but shortly after, you know, six or seven months, uh, he came on as a dining room manager and he actually was a culinary intern of mine at Smokejacks. Oh, okay. Um where was he where was he studying? He was at CIA. Okay, cool. So then we didn't see each other for a few years. He answered the ad, you know we see him walking up to uh to do the interview and next thing you know, we were he actually didn't even have any real front of the house experience. And I think it just shows like we liked him. We can we can teach you this. But, and what he was to, it
0: about him early on that appealed to you so much?
1: Uh, Will was Will bought in immediately. It wasn't like, hey man, I've been here for ten hours. It was like, oh, if you're going to be there, I'm going to be there. Mm. You're going to do an event, I'm going to do the event. So we were A commitment, hooked, yeah, full on. So in 2012, when we were maybe 2011, when we knew restaurant number two was coming, uh, we went out to dinner, you know, William and his wife and myself, and said. Why not you come in 50-50? And it was you know, just a certain small amount of money at the time. Um, and they took uh, the weekend to think about it. I don't remember. I brought him down to the Beard Awards. Oh, that's awesome. I think it like, reminded him that this is all cool. Okay, I so tricked I, him into coming back. I want to get deeper into <laughs>
0: that. Um, but I'm curious. So you didn't open the second uh, Hen of the Wood until 2012, 2013. So almost eight years had pass with one restaurant one location what did that evolution look like with one location to get you to the point where you're confident you could manage to take us through that evolution in early
1: days sure well once we did which i can't remember what year i won the um excuse me the food and wine best new chef after what that happened we were busy enough that we could at least forecast somewhat I actually borrowed $200,000 from locals okay. and cleaned up all of our books. So that's really that's a whole other wedge of the story of how Hen worked because now we know what we're doing enough. Yeah, We've messed up a little bit. This kitchen is a dump. Hey, guys, can I borrow some money? Here's how I can pay you back. They knew us super well. They We got the money super easily. We redid some kitchen stuff, cleaned up some random debt, cleaned up some books started at zero with a little bit of cash in the yeah, bank
0: i think you're, you're you're bringing up a really important part right now a lot of people i think they try to scale before they plug the holes and you were smart enough to say okay this is where we're at we have tons of opportunity but before di- diverting our, our attention to location number two or a new project what can we do at home to make this operation to to as, as tight as possible yeah. to clean up our our obligations our debt and to fix whatever we can fix here and make this as strong as possible before moving on to the next. do you want to reflect more on that
1: so, i mean that you, you summed it all up there was we had slipped on some meals and rooms taxes we had who knows what, and we needed a lot of work done, like just random stuff the place if you were to see pictures of the kitchen back then in the dish pit, it was awful it just wasn't yeah. a nice place to work like visually unattractive, you know just dirty and old from the restaurant before us. We had done minor upkeep or minor repairs throughout our time, but this was now a chunk of change in our pocket to, like, retile this, some new dish equipment, a new range, debt is clean, all bills are paid, we're at zero with a few bucks in the bank, I know exactly how I can pay these people back every quarter, it was super easy, they were totally happy to be a part of it, and...
0: Yeah. yeah, one of the biggest lessons I've learned doing all these interviews now is that growth comes from within. I think a lot of people, when they think of growth, they think of going out, like we need to expand out, out, out. But if you take that energy and you put it into to making what you have as as. Tight as possible, as impressive as possible, like that outward growth comes organically because people will throw opportunities at you, right? Right. Um, so which is which is
1: exactly how this is all played out. Awesome.
0: I, well, I'm sure we'll get into the details as we go. So, uh, you sit down with Will and his wife, you say, Hey, 50 50 partner. Most people in that scenario, you've built this thing for the past eight years, like it's time to reap the benefit and a lot of people will say don't get into partnerships mm-hmm. i don't know if i agree with that like why were you willing to give up 50 percent of everything that you worked so hard for like why was that worth it
1: sure yeah and a lot of people or at least like do you know 70 30 or 60 <laughs> yeah. at the time will had been gone for about 11 months he went to sell wine um, he got out of the business um, reconnected you know they were newly married you know et cetera, et cetera he had still been really close to us and obviously watching everything happen. So he had been out. So with that whole bringing him to the beard awards was Rick is how I really tricked him in for real. <laughs> um, but Will has a, is a, you'll see when you chat with him, uh, we really couldn't be more different.
0: A little bit of a teaser there. Will's coming up next. We're going to do it back to back. I'm
1: pumped. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm a little bit more big picture dreamery. Yeah. Whatever. Whoever can fill in the words, um will is much more specific has some other things on lockdown we have two sets of strengths that i think i i see how partners have ups and downs we've never even really had a fight much less you know we each have our strengths and i think we're okay with uh what the other's roles are as we've grown we try to we've tried to do some exercises and putting our roles on paper so that new people that meet us like new staff we can be like, here's who we are. This is our story worth living. This is why we do what we do. Here's my roles. Here's Will's roles. They can get to know us a little bit more than just like, oh, what are those two guys who are now mostly in the office doing? Um, I think but we're going to time... pull
0: back some layers on that when we start sure. talking about managing uh, the soul, right, and passing that soul on to the next generation. Uh, but let's keep that teaser rolling. Uh, what were you going to say?
1: Uh, well, so probably just backing up to Will, um, it was our strengths that that uh, and our differences that knew I knew we couldn't grow without a buddy. Mm. Um, I think my it's... ego is not that big to where I couldn't share all this. Yes. Um and to go bigger, like our hen Burlington is a completely different project than Hen of the Wood Waterbury. Like we raised a lot of money. It's beautifully designed. There's a lot of staff. It has all the things that we ever wanted, which now I don't cook and I didn't even get to cook on all this stuff. It's like all the wood fired grill, the wood fired oven, this beautiful bar hen water is only 40 seats it's mostly reservation only because it's so tiny you can't just pop in have a drink or some oysters so hen burlington full bar you can sit on the kitchen line you don't need reservations for either of those it's all the stuff that we wished we could do turn the radio up a little bit like let's party in here a little bit more because it's not just formal you know first course second course dessert um and then neither of us really got to work there for the most part, which is really sad. But um, we, we knew that I knew that there was no way I could do that alone. Yeah. And that, to, that's the shortest, simplest answer.
0: I want to reflect on something real quick about your relationship with Will and uh, your uh, emotional intelligence to to self-reflecting and say, hey, like I'm not that great at these certain things I think a lot of people get in their own way because they're afraid to admit to their team that they're not good or not the best at something but you recognize and will that he was better at certain things than you were and instead of trying to have that that owner mentality of like it's my way or the highway like I need to create this image of being perfect to my employees. Like you said, you know what? Like I could get out of the way and let will focus on all these things that he rocks where I could be the, the visionary, the dreamer and, and focus on the food and the, the creative, the, the creative element. Sure. You got in your lane and you stayed in your lane and you, you, you relieved that pressure of all the other things that weren't your sweet spot. Talk about the, the power of that, of just being able to, to
1: relieve what, you're yeah, the goal was for me to never touch a POS system again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, not, no joke, actually. Um, I think that's just what we've been doing. I think you kind okay. of explained it enough already. We don't need to get into it any further, but I, I just wanted to
0: put the emphasis on there. Sure. To, to get out of your way. And uh, you can go so much further sharing the pie than you could ever go trying to keep the little pie to yourself. Right? 100 so Share that pie. So... Some people are cringing right now. I know there's some consultants out there cr- cringing right now, but it's just what I believe. And mm-hmm. I, it sounds like you believe that too. So uh, bringing it back to uh, Hen of the Wood in Burlington, uh, it sounds like this is when you started to transition out of working in the business to working on the business. 100%. Yeah. Take us through that transition and what it looked like.
1: Uh, the build out was something we had never done, first of all. Um, we had a designer buddy with us. We had a kitchen buddy helping us out design the kitchen. Um, There were attorneys involved and leases, and we had the lease on the other place, but it's a pretty boilerplate. Uh, Took a long time to open, a bunch of delays with the build-out of the hotel and then the build-out of us. We leased space from the hotel, Hotel Vermont. Um, Upon opening, there was a lot of great energy behind us. The original idea was we didn't imagine Hen Waterbury lasting forever. We don't own the building. Our relationship with the landlord isn't the best. Let's call this place hen of the wood, because should Waterbury ever close, I would hate to lose that like that hen of the wood was like my soul if we were ever close the plan was to never have more than one hen of the wood um, just a little backstory on why we have two um, yeah it, I, it has confused customers, it's confused tourists uh, it's just sort of worked out for us, and we we're sort of able to have this city hen country hen um, but so we opened with a lot of energy, a lot of excitement. Everything worked out for the most part from day one. We have people that have been with us from day one at Hen Waterbury that moved over to there. People that were back servers or managers, cooks that are chefs. Um, it all just did its thing. Like we slid right in with a lot of good juju behind us and we stayed true to what made Hen Waterbury special and just sort of did that on a little bit grander scale um, and that's, that's still holding there right now. Water, Hen Burlington is, is as exciting today as it was on day one. And it's fully not because of William and I. It is 100% because of the managers there now. Like letting them run certain parts of the program, have full control. We change the menu every day, but Chef Jordan has been with me for a long time. It is fully his food. It's it's rooted in mine, but it is fully his. If you go eat there right now, so take
0: take us through that transition. How you you tra- transition from being the creator, uh, the, the you know the creative power behind everything, and then relieving that that creativity to somebody else, and trusting them with what you've worked so hard that reputation to build. Like how do you, how do you? Tra- pass I don't that think the there's time? another
1: way. Yeah. Oh, if not, you would go crazy, which we, we do go crazy every day as it is with all the minutiae of random things that need to be done properly. You, so, you, you if wanted, I were to, Sorry, go ahead. No, just if I were to try to stay fully on top of everything he's doing and then Chef Antonio and Waterbury, like it would drive me mad. Like They need to be given the freedom yeah. to grow and do their thing. And until they mess something up, they won't hear from me unless there's a problem as opposed to starting, like, hey, do this, do this, do this. It's not until there's a hiccup or a trip. That we would then be like, hey, I think we can we pull back on the such and such? Can we, you know, not cover every dish in microgreens or who knows what? Like whatever things come up. Yeah.
0: You you want to relinquish that creative freedom because that's what's going to people need that, especially in this industry. But how do you relinquish that creative freedom while maintaining the brand in the essence of what Hen of the Wood is?
1: That is the big question. That is all we're working on now. So that is really trying to establish true definition of who we are. Why do we exist? How do we do it? How are we going to do it? Translate that information to our managers, making sure they have what they need, so then they translate it to the next crew. Like okay, that that's that's the the whole magic experiment that's happening right now. So if
0: somebody else is going through this, same challenge you're going through, and it sounds like you've gotten some practice uh, getting those thoughts out, getting that brand out, getting that essence out. What what's that? What's that look like? What what?
1: Yeah, that look for Take us, a... we call that our story worth living. It's a one page document. It's like a mission statement on steroids it just says who we are how we're going to do business how we're going to treat each other things like that so when you come to work at hen when you get your little employee packet it's not just the mission statement you get this story worth living and a handful of other little documents that just try to peek behind the scene at who we are without sounding at the very beginning of those exercises they sounded corporate to me and not real so you had to be really honest with yourself when you're writing them And hopefully if you do that, then it comes across appropriately to the new staff. And I think we accomplished that. So right now what we're working on is how does Docpons, ProPig, Hand of the Wood, three completely different brands interact under the same sort of umbrella. We have heirloom hospitality is what we call our crew. We don't really use that publicly too often, but everything is owned under heirloom hospitality and all these documents are under heirloom hospitality's document stuff. How do we translate that to every person who walks in the door here, whether it's a dishwasher or a a chef or a GM?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, what's what's happening here is whatever it is, whatever whatever defines who you are, what your values are, what your vision is, what your mission is, has to be committed to paper because. Otherwise, you'll drift over time. Uh, You'll have new people come in or you'll forget what you committed to. And over time, you drift from the center line. You get away from what really matters to you. But if you commit it to writing, then it's, it's, it's there. It's an anchor. When you start to drift, you can say, hey, this isn't who we said we are. Look. It's right here, sure. and that's your center line. That's your, you get right back on that. But if you don't have it committed to writing, then how do you? Unless you're just like one of those freaks that can remember every little detail. I'm not one of those people. Well, those it was more aren't.
1: that paper also was a way for our staff to hold us true. Mm. Mm. When we opened Doc, we had a handful of center of the plate proteins that weren't local, and we had some staff be like, "Dude, this is not what you guys are about." I, we know Hen of the Wood. We know what your history is. Why are we doing this? Just raise the price a few bucks, and we have to get. We have to change this. This yeah. is not what we signed up for. And that's when and within the magic a week. Happens. It was yeah. like that was all local. It yep. was like you're right. We messed up.
0: That's the power right there. That's the perfect example of correcting a drift and empowering your people to be able to say, "Hey, when we're when we're drifting." Feel free to speak up. Yeah, speak truth to power, man.
1: All that matters is who's right. I mean, is what is doing the right thing. Yeah, not who it is. I love it.
0: So we didn't even talk about uh, how you had this opportunity for Doc Ponds, uh, and then the this is something I'm really interested in because it must be uh, the taking over uh, prohibition pig. Uh, cause you, you retained all the, the, the original team members. That were for the here, most part. For the yeah. most part. A couple
1: people moved on, but yeah, for the most part. Okay.
0: So, um, first was Doc Pond 2015. How did this opportunity present itself to you?
1: Uh, super simple, uh, landlord called who we know. It's actually the contractor that built out the wood Burlington. So I have this space. These guys are out. It's a small spot. You guys have any interest in putting a bar in Stowe? It has never been part of the plan. Uh, over the course of the next couple of months, we created this idea of Doc Ponds, this little brand that goes with it. It's a fun brand. It's super fun because yeah. Hen, you know, we're sort of which has been fine for us. But Hen doesn't play a lot with Doc. It's just all it is is playtime. But we can still do food that's we believe in, but it's a little bit more accessible to everyone. You know, there's a nine dollar burger on the menu, things like that. You can come in. We have this thousand album vinyl collection, awesome beer program, really cool cocktails. Yeah, you can get out of there with spending 20 bucks.
0: So this is your uh, third restaurant you've opened at this point. What did you learn up to this point? How did you open this restaurant differently because with the experience that you had under your belt at this time?
1: Well, we're now we're two in. So the business plan is that much more dialed in. Our relationship with our accountant is that much more dialed in. Uh, our ability to find money from the community is easier. All things are just done a little bit better a little bit cleaner, a little bit more with an eye towards the future. Um, Some staff is built in at this point. You can't roll the dice like we could in 2005. Like at this point now we have 70 employees at that point, you know, with doc, there was a hundred with here. There's 167. Like if we were to do more projects, all of a sudden now we're putting a lot of people at risk here. Like you can't just go wing it. Can't. Yeah.
0: There's something to be said about early on when you're starting, you have nothing to lose, right? Right. You have nothing to lose. But when you start being, when when you have everything to lose, you know, you really got to start be, being careful about what you commit yourself to because of the people that are depending on you. Right. Sure. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. Big for real. And we have yeah. people that, like I said, have been with us for a very long time. Mm-hmm. If we were to close up shop today, they would have to really think long and hard what their next move is because they've been under this umbrella for so long, so
0: got you so transitioning to two thousand eighteen prohibition pig, take us uh through a little bit of the history of uh prohibition pig before you sure
1: over. so I've been friends with the owner uh before the pig opened. This was the home of the alchemist before they have their big beautiful brewery in Stowe. It mm-hmm. was flooded in tropical storm irene. they moved out. Prohibition Pig moved in 2012. I live up the street. We followed the. Sorry, go
0: ahead. I was gonna say the Alchemist. That's the the uh, brewer of Hetty Topper. Maybe. Yes. Uh, so maybe that is ringing a bell with some of
1: the listeners. One hundred. So this yeah. is the building where that started in that brewery. Beautiful. Okay. Um. Mm-hmm. So we. This is our one of our town bars and Chad's one of my close buddies. Chad Rich who opened this place. We connected besides being good friends. We had the same vision of. Sort of what makes things charming. We both come from the South. There is an element to the South to the pig that I was always sort of jealous of. He got to play, keep one foot in the South, which mm-hmm. I've always wanted to do, but we've never had the opportunity with Hen of the Wood or. So Doc. they're
0: doing smoked barbecue.
1: Yeah, we do whole hog. You know, the core is Eastern North Carolina whole hog barbecue, but there's enough for everybody here. Yeah. It's not just a hardcore barbecue restaurant by far. So to kind of paint the
0: picture for the listeners that they're not familiar, uh, Prohibition Pig. It wasn't like they were like a like. A failing restaurant, like they were known. Like this yeah. was a, a destination. This was a. They had something special going on. Usually, when you see a one restaurant group absorb another restaurants, because there's somebody trying to, you know, there was a failure or like whatever. What what was like unique about this transaction? Like, w- well,
1: I think Chad had uh, the past year or so had maybe not as been uh, was not as interested in running a restaurant. Okay, um, he was starting to spend some more time back down south. We had been talking for quite a while about whether maybe our group would just manage the restaurant. We've never done something like that before. Yeah. It sounded like a cool challenge. We'll come in as the management company. Chad, you're free to check out. Hold us accountable. Pay us whatever. We'll figure this out. You know, talks like that for a year or more. And then we crossed paths last, the end of the summer, and he threw out, what about just buying it if we can figure out a deal? So it literally took us six or seven months to get a deal because we're both good buddies Nobody played hardball. No one tried to screw the other. It it took us a long time just to get everything on paper. But I think we were the natural people to buy it. Like I have roots in this town. I have roots in the South. I have brewing roots in my family. I've, I hang out here a lot. It just seems like if someone around here is going to buy this place... It has to be us.
0: Yeah. So what advice do you have for somebody who's entering into that type of relationship or they're taking over a a pre-existing restaurant that's kind of turnkey where you're just kind of transitioning in as the owner? Like, What what advice do you have for that transaction? That's
1: a hard one. Like, slow and gentle, I think. We're still doing it. We're only six months in. Um, You can't come in. Gun's blazing. You have to get to know everybody. We obviously wanted to make some changes right off the bat, but they have been slow coming compared to what William and I would normally do. It was like, we don't like that. Change it, go. Yeah, uh, Buying a restaurant has been a whole other experience that uh, although I think because we knew the pig so well, it seemed okay. I don't imagine buying businesses after this. I just yeah. don't see that as part of our – not, it's not a carrot we're chasing. Okay. This was sort of a, an anomaly.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a really interesting situation because like I mentioned, it's not like you put the Prohibition big on the map. It was on the map. fully, And they had a good – they had a, they had a good something going on, right? Yeah. So you don't want to like lose that. So how? I mean, were your cultures kind of aligned? Uh, how much was different?
1: Yeah, we wanted to get up underneath it. Okay. Some culture had definitely slipped away. Okay. As Chad had been more interested and in, was struggling to be a, a people manager. I yeah. don't think that's what he wanted to do. He he is awesome at the brand. He built this really cool place. This place is super fun. There's a, just being in this room. There's yeah. like oh, random so, cool so crap in here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um i think when it came to dealing with management of people in a restaurant he maybe got tired of that yeah and at that point things can just start to slip away like there yeah. may be just as many bodies walking in the door but is everyone having fun is everyone meaning this is the staff having fun is the staff happy i have a feeling that there's a handful of people here that were questioning whether they're going to stay mm-hmm. for the long term us buying it caused, I think, excitement in some and fear in others. Yeah, More change, more instability. Who knows what these guys are going to bring. I'm sure they like, oh, these guys own these fancy restaurants. They're going to come in here and do X, Y, Z. Who knows? What everyone's thinking. But any kind of change like that is fearful, creates fear. So I think you have to be really gentle and speak up. I'll tell them your interests, where you're coming from, what you want to see the pig be. What do you want to see the pig be? We'll do it together. You know, we've made some little changes, but nothing's sweeping. Little things are coming as we get to know it more, get up underneath it, try to create, make it our own without changing it. Beautiful. You know, that, that That's what the whole goal is, too. Like make It's ours. This is heirloom hospitality now. I,
0: I'm loving this conversation. We're kind of at current time now, and this is typically when I ask my guests, is there anything that you were hoping we would talk about, anything that you think we should talk about uh Added expertise, areas that you think needs to be addressed in the the industry, like just hot topics, anything you want to go to right now.
1: I think what the industry really deserves is a little bit more uh, of a gentle gentle hand, um, realizing that people need to have a work-life balance, that the restaurant industry is not just this place where you're supposed to be slogging it out. We don't want you trading time for a paycheck. You have to have some like real values and morals so that your personal life aligns with what you're doing while you're in here for 10 or 12 hours a day, I think. And this would really go for any business, but I don't remember the author, but the whole start with why, like getting deeper into why are you here, why are you doing this. Yeah, like, we can uh, say Simon Sinek. Yeah, Simon Sinek, yeah. like, well, I'm here to cook the best steak. It's like, no, we're not. We're here to be like a good partner in our community and we're here to make people feel good, number one. Well then, how do you do that? Well, you do that by cooking a good steak, and you be really gracious, and you are polite, and you talk properly, and you keep a clean restaurant. Like you flip the script a little bit, yeah. and what the outcome is that is, well, then you have financials. If you're going into it to make money, that's that's the third thing on the list. Yeah, you know, so really like taking care of your people and having a clear vision. I think I would say that now, after 13, 14 years, that that's the thing. Like clear vision and make sure your people are taken care of. If we can keep that going every day, I think there's no reason why we wouldn't last forever. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we have staff that are, that were like wanting, wanting more from us, but we're doing our very best to like make that be our, our core vision. I love you know? it.
0: So the mission statement of restaurant Stoppable is to inspire, empower and transform the industry. And behind every great restaurant is a great person. So how have you transformed since 2005 as a business owner? Who are you today versus who you were then?
1: Uh, i'm way way less self centered or self concerned my my goal is to make everyone feel good who works here mm. like i've been lucky to have my name on a you know I've gotten a couple of awards. I'll get to do this fun stuff with you.
0: I didn't mention the
1: awards in the intro. I'm trying to get away
0: from awards because I, I don't want people to think that it's about the, the awards. Oh, which it
1: really isn't, especially nowadays. From like, like
0: 2000, what, 2008 to 2017, you were nominated consecutively for James Beard. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's just incredible what you've accomplished. I don't want to. I mean, I want to give you that nod. It's it's really. Well, incredible. We've been
1: lucky, I think, too, to be a big fish in a small pond. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Uh, I think this is a good spot to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back to bust out a speed round. So this probably does not come as a surprise to you, but as you can imagine, I look at a lot of restaurant websites because I'm constantly researching my next guest, successful restaurateurs, and you'd be surprised how many of those people have bento box websites. I mean, I almost know instantly when looking at these websites because they're always so stunning, and they always check every box, everything that a good restaurant website should have, hospitality online with bento box by signing up today at getbento.com slash unstoppable and save up to $1,500 on initial setup for your new restaurant website. We're back. And the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most
1: contributes to your success? Gosh, I think we have strong vision, like I was saying for real. It's powerful. I think that's our best thing we have going. What is your biggest weakness? Ooh. I can be a little harsh or a little quick. Maybe I think.
0: How are you I don't mean to that? be. How are you dealing? You recognize it, which is good. But how are how are like when you recognize it? Like you know that that it ha- quickness. can't be an
1: email. Number one, <laughs> we have to talk face to face. Apparently, my emails come across. Too harsh, but I think I'm just like trying to hit all the points quick. <laughs> but yeah, so we have to sit down face to face. Got you. Uh, what is one
0: question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team uh, during that interview process?
1: Gosh, it's really just what do you want to be doing? That's it. And what are you looking for? It doesn't have to be the restaurant industry, but you have to have a bigger understanding of you know food, history, culture, booze. Is that enjoyable to you? Do you have fun with that? Like. You should be proud when you walk in these buildings. Like there's cool stuff in all of these places. Yeah. What is your biggest challenge today? Getting to know everybody. How are you overcoming that? Day by day. Yeah. Taking on the pig is is big. There's a lot of people here. I bet. Yeah. Uh, What is one code of conduct, a core value, a way to be, uh, a way to behave that you teach your team? Gosh, if we can just be open and polite, really like kindness, kindness wins, period. I love it.
0: What is one non-standard or sorry, one uncommon standard of service you teach your team, a way to go above and beyond what's expected from the guest.
1: I don't know if there's one that that is uh, number one, though, for us. The gracious hospitality is just the term we always use. I can't pick up one thing. What is gracious hospitality? Well, I think we're just here to take care of you. Once you walk in the door, we got you like. The idea that it's not about your the best steak or not. It's about is this your favorite place to hang out? If it is, then we win. Yeah, I love it. What is one book to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Uh, right now, it's the Radical Candor. Okay, yeah. First time mentioned on the show. Did oh, really? Say, yeah. What's it? What's it about? Care personally, challenge directly. Care personally, challenge directly. That's, that's, challenge directly. that's the whole stick. That? You know, it's a two by two graph. If you can end up in right there where you're caring personally but challenging directly that's you're, you're being honest you're letting people know what you need you're letting people know it's not acceptable. you're showing them what success looks like i love it yeah great stuff great book and great podcast yeah
0: this is episode 625 head over to restaurant com slash 625 we'll have a link to that book and also if you guys don't listen to do you listen to audiobooks is that something that you, you not leverage often. not too often um that book is probably on audio. It sounds like it's pretty popular. So. Oh, that
1: one is one of the only ones I've been listening yeah, to. Yeah, so head over to
0: Audibletrial.com slash unstoppable. And if you're not listening to audiobooks, you can get that one for free. Uh game changer in my opinion. Uh, what is one thing you believe restaurant tours don't do well
1: enough or often enough? Man, I don't know, that could be a big list. There's a big picture element that's missing from a lot of restaurants. You know, how does someone feel right when they walk in the door? hmm Is it clean? Is someone smiling at them? I think we get so lost in the, the details every day. Like, or like we get tunnel
0: vision on one section, we lose sight of the big picture. Yeah, it really day. is
1: not just about having a tasty meal. Yeah. Like, honestly, that's, that's second, third, fourth on the list, I believe, deep down. I love it. Okay, this is the
0: last question. Actually, it's not. I skipped one. My bad. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls that's had a huge impact on operations, communications, efficiency, profitability, anything around that those lines?
1: Yeah, she'll have to ask William that. I I miss the days when everything was handwritten. Um, But we have have all the tools and gadgets and all the back-end systems that seem every year there's a new middleman to help us. I'll make sure to put extra pressure on William when he's up next. All right, this
0: is the last question. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom, three things you know to be true that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three things be?
1: Oh my gosh. It's a tough one. That's a tough one. It's deep. I mean it's it's really so simple though, right? It's just be nice to each other. That's one. Be so be kind, be gracious. We'll cut that as one and two. What's the third uh, one? You're putting me on the spot too much. Yeah. That's what I do. I, I, I think that uh, you know, plug in, dig deep. Awesome. Uh, yeah. I'll take it. Awesome. This has been a
0: great conversation. Thank you so much, Chef Eric. I'll uh, wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So who's one independent operator, somebody that you respect and admire and believe would be a great guest mentor on the
1: show like you made for us. So you can't say, Will. no, I'd love for you to go meet Steve Atkins at the kitchen table in Richmond.
0: Steve Atkins, Look out. I'm coming after you. Is yeah. Richmond, uh, Vermont, or yeah. Virginia. Yeah, it's one okay. of the jobs I had in between. Yeah. Look out, Steve. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And I uh, let the folks at home know how can we uh, connect with you if we want to check out your work? Uh, maybe come join your team. What's the best way to connect?
1: No, the best way is just email. Yeah. Eric at hen of the wood.com. All right. Yep.
0: I'll have that email in the show notes again. This is unstoppable.com slash six two. Did I say five? Six two five. I'll have a summary of today's discussion over there. A link to all the tools, services, books recommended, and how to connect with Eric. Chef, thank you again for taking the time to Thanks share your Thanks for having knowledge. me. It's awesome. Oh, man. There is no questioning. You are unstoppable.